I've never made love in a van. Not yet, anyway. I've never had a long chat in a van either. Not as a musician, not even as a roadie, not even as a cross-country driving hippie, and certainly not as a podcaster. But a half hour with Nick Urata changed all that forever. I interviewed the lead singer and founding member of Devotchka before his show at U Street Music Hall in downtown Washington, D.C., It was cold outside and it was loud inside, so with no other recourse, Nick invited me into his van. There was no candy inside, only conversation. Also a bald guy fumbling in the dark with a tape recorder and a tangled pair of Sennheiser headphones. And I'm glad I was sitting with Nick when I popped my van interview Cherry, with a man who is, in some ways, one of my film scoring heroes. Guys like Nick and John Bryan and Mark Mothersbaugh and Trent Reznor and Mike Patton are who in my deepest fantasies I want to be. A working musician, one part humble yet confident rock star, the other part in the shadows honing his craft. And yet, while inside the van with Nick, I barely touch upon the subject of making music for movies. And I should have. Did I blow it? Nick, if you're listening to this, call me next time you're in town. I'll buy us some whiskey, and we can rank Ennio Morricone scores. Spoiler alert, one, Once Upon a Time in the West, two, The Mission, three, The Thing. Maybe I didn't blow it. I want to talk to Nick about Devotchka instead, the band he started before all the film scores, before Little Miss Sunshine and Paddington and Crazy Stupid Love. Devotchka, like most artists featured on this podcast, are, shall we say, non-traditional. Google them if you don't believe me. They're listed as a vocal quartet. And they're not exactly that, but Devotchka's sound is far from commercial, certainly not classifiable. It features violins, accordions, and Latin percussion, and it's all beautiful, really. And I dare say most of the beauty in the band comes from the music's reliance on Nick's words and his voice. So yeah, I was excited and nervous to talk with Nick for episode 89 of the Independent Minded Podcast. In Nick's van, no less, where he maybe takes a nap in Wichita or eats a burrito on the way to Philly. These are Nick's wheels, man. These are wheels he travels on when he decides it's all worth it to hit the road to promote the band's fantastic new album. Because now more than ever, when you release a fantastic new album, The best way to get people to buy it is to take a van into town and play some new songs and a lot of old ones in front of an almost packed medium-sized club on a school night. Is that still a somewhat innocent belief of bands that cut their teeth on the road? That touring, no matter how much you love it and you hate it, and you've got to hate it a little bit, that touring still drives the commerce? Does Devotchka need to tour? Do they need to sit in a van and take long road trips together? Or do they want to? Nick and I touch upon that inside the van, the place where one of his roadies thought I was breaking in because they didn't see Nick get in on the driver's side first. The place where his merch girl took 11 dark, blurry pictures of Nick and I in front of Devotchka's merch table. She had one job. And yeah, maybe Nick and I didn't make love, but we had a good talk, and after a chilly start, I felt the love. And I hope Nick did too. Inside the van, where Nick and I eventually discover we're both paisanos from New York where Nick from Devotchka regales me with tales of underwater villages and a story of vintage suits, where Nick and I talk about leaving dogs behind, losing a Grammy to Johnny Cash, and the biggest thing that separates Nick and all those other guys I mentioned from people like you and me, dedication. Dedication comes up often in our conversation, especially at the end. It also felt like the best part of the conversation, and being the B-minus journalist that I am, I should have been recording that part, but of course I had already turned the mics off. I had one job. Let's kick it off with Straight Shot, the opening track from This Night Falls Forever. Then my conversation with Nick Urata. Or is it Urata? Or is it Urata? Inside the van, outside U Street Music Hall, right here on Independent Minded. Come on, let's take a ride. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. 
famous He's helping them out just by making them talk About all the cool shit that they do
I'm inside the Devochka van. What type of van is this? It's a Sprinter. I think anyone who's ever played in a band will know what a Sprinter is. Am I right? I hope so. Nick is the lead singer of Devochka, and I've been a fan of this band for a long time, so I'm excited to talk to you in your van, Nick. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining me in my uh, somewhat creepy circumstances. You consider this creepy? It could be construed as creepy, but we're just two guys hanging out in the van talking. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, again, anyone who's been in a van finds himself in this position, and uh, you learn a lot about each other. You sort through a lot of stuff in these two positions. You know, you're, you're shotgun right now, and I'm driving. And it's very important to have someone staying up with you and talking while you're driving. You know? Do you do an amount of driving on the road? You know, we've sort of become spoiled in our <laughs> in our later career. We have other people drive us, but we spent many, many years traveling the highways and byways of the U.S. and Canada. And, uh, and yeah, you do a lot of bonding when you're traveling late-night highways with your bandmates. Yeah. Well, I've released a few albums, but I've never done a proper tour. So this is actually my first time on tour uh, for a half hour in the Devochka van. So. Yeah, so you get a little taste of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is this your first time uh, doing an interview in the van? Sadly, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I've been getting really into podcasts lately myself. So oh, what do you listen to? I've been kind of getting into the serial kind of... The true crime true stuff? True crime stuff. Yeah, me too. And, I like that stuff. Yeah, because it keeps you coming back, and the reporting is so great and, and detailed. It's great company on the road, I would I would assume. It is. It is. It's such a nice thing because it's hard to read on the road, you know, I'll be honest with you. Especially when you're driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be reading books when you're driving. I've been a fan of Devochka for uh, over a decade now. I jumped on the bandwagon uh, when a lot of people did when I heard uh, How It Ends for the first time. It was a song I put on mixes for girls. And then I got to see a movie called Little Miss Sunshine. And the soundtrack is Devochka, pretty much. Now you're releasing a new, well, you released a new album. It's called This Night Falls Forever. There's a general feeling of romance and longing in these songs. The press release for the album quotes you as saying, you've always dealt in romance. You don't know what else to write about. I have a similar ideology, I guess, when it comes to songwriting. That seems to be where I get my, it's like the emotional well I draw from. And I feel like from the moment caveman can hold a paintbrush or a hammer and chisel or whatever they started making cave drawings with. I think they had the similar aspirations. I it mean, goes that far back, you think? I think it does. I think it's where all of art comes from. One of the songs on the new album I really love is called Empty Vessels. I watched the video for that yesterday. And I want to thank you for making a video that pretty much sums up my life or maybe predicts my later life. Basically, an old man who looks lost and alone with a little white dog. I also have a little white dog. Kind of wanders around aimlessly and eventually winds up by a, a big body of water. And that's kind of interspersed with scenes of you underwater. He jumps in the water at the end and he arrives at a place of his youth where he sees a young love. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for watching. It's a beautiful video, isn't it? Yes. Um, but I, I have a bone to pick about it. Um... You're going to say something about the dog, aren't you? He but leaves the dog behind. He doesn't leave the dog behind, but we can we can get into that later. Okay. But you notice at the end, you see the church steeple sticking out of the water. and So it's kind of based on true events. Um, I made it with this um, Czech director that I've been working with named Martin Krzyzic. Sorry, Martin, about your last name. but, um, but Oh, that uh, was his last name? Krzyzic. <laughs> I didn't know you were finished. <laughs> I just call him Martin. 
he's a great director and and but this happened to his father it happened to many villages in in that part of eastern europe during the uh communist regimes there was a lot of exploitation of the environment and many little villages that have been around for 500 years were often covered by mining debris or in this case the river was dammed and they would just wipe out these ancestral villages without any sentimentality just in the name of progress and these families that have been there for generations would just have to pack their things and leave everything behind and in particular martin's father's village is underwater right now and you can see the church steeple sticking oh. out, of the, out of the lake so that was that was the scene that this guy was heading back to find his childhood sweetheart and so he swims down to his village all right. Yeah. Well, so then the dog survives. Are we gonna? We're we just gonna gloss that over, or? Um, the uh, the dog was rescued by um, a humane society and adopted by a, a sweet family um, <laughs> with two is kids, the... and they, he now lives on a in a rural area on a farm. Is that in the deleted scenes for the video? I, yeah. All right, I'll delete you. On okay. That. The underwater scenes. I couldn't help notice that even underwater, uh, you look great in suspenders. Uh, I've always been impressed by the fact that you are a sharp-dressed man. What inspires your wardrobe choices? Well, th thanks for noticing that. My grandfather was a musician, and he, he imparted some knowledge to me. And, and uh, one of the things he taught us was that when you dress your best and you, you look your best on stage, it'll, it'll help you play better. And, really? And the audience will take you more seriously. So I, when we had a band, I saw it as an opportunity to, to make a statement and, and uh, have a look. At the time, people were showing up, you know, in T-shirt and ripped jeans and just right. with some T-shirt. Sleeveless said, flannel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted us to look good, so I started shopping at thrift stores for the band. And, and one of the early looks we had was I would buy old tuxedos and ruffled shirts. And I'm sure we looked ridiculous at the time, but since I think it's kind <laughs> of, fashion has kind of caught up with us. Absolutely. It's, certainly a, it's kind of a popular look now. It was that look that sort of led to one of our earlier collaborations when the burlesque shows started getting big in town. They, they saw us in like a little cabaret with our vintage suits on and uh, they thought we'd be a perfect fit. And that's um, kind of how you got you started in that scene, right? And that was a that was a lucky big break for us because we got to tour all over the country and play our music in front of big crowds because of, you know. Because of our vintage suits, basically. Because of your scarves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been seven years between albums. It hasn't been. Uh, we, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you didn't know that. Uh, we, <laughs> we live in an instant gratification era where I feel like if you don't keep churning out content, you quickly become irrelevant. Do you subscribe to that 21st century conceit? You know, we were feeling some of that impact of that, and I think it's very true. And we certainly didn't do it intentionally. We did get caught up in a few collaborations that were very musical and very, very rewarding, um, but it, it did sort of take some of the oxygen away from finishing our album. You know, we did a bunch of films and TV, and we did a, we did a live version of the Willy Wonka show, which was really amazing. We oh, did awesome. A, we did a version of Sweeney Todd. We did a lot of collaborating, and it didn't seem like seven years. But also in that time, you know, it, it from collaborating and working, we got to work with symphony orchestras, and I got to work with, with groups of Hollywood scoring stages. And, you know, it didn't seem right just to go back into a, a dusty studio for a week or two and bang out a bunch of songs. You know, we wanted something a little bit more timeless, and it ended up taking a little more time. And, and I thank everybody for their patience. Who You're have, welcome. Who have... <laughs> come back to to listen to us and and I know it'll probably take a little time to get back on people's radar but you know we had to do it and we'll suffer the consequences. What are your origins? You're from Denver, Colorado? No, actually I grew up in New York. 
Really? Yeah. Whereabouts? I did. I did. My family, you know, are Italians from the city. And I grew up around there, and I got to go to high school in a place called Westchester, which is a little more uh, relaxed, but very close to the city. Know it and well. We, and we always had strong ties to New York. So, yeah, I grew up in a big Italian family in New York. Me and, too. Chen Dan. Chen Dan. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting because Devochka is notorious for having sort of like a world music, gypsy music sort of vibe. You play the theremin, you play the bazooki. Where did that come from? Well, like I was saying, I was lucky enough to have musicians in our family, and they're were, they were very worldly in their musical tastes. You know, I got a glimpse of that when I was little, but unfortunately, they all started to pass away just when I was sort of learning how to play. I was always sort of pining away for something that might be a little bit outside of the known borders. And that led to me kind of hooking up with the band that I'm with because they sort of had similar similar leanings. We realized very early on that would it would, would be kind of foolish to try to be purists or, you know, ethnomusicologists. Uh, um, it's the first time anyone's used that term on the Independent-Minded <laughs> podcast. Well, you know what I'm saying? I just I wanted to have it feel exotic but still, you know, it's still coming from the same experience we've all we've all come up sure. experiencing. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. As far back as I can remember, we had an old piano in my house, and I was always on it trying to compose my own songs. Me too. We're the yeah. same, <laughs> it's well, the same person. Am I talking close enough to the mic? <laughs> Sorry. I might not have recorded all that last the last 10 questions because I've been holding the mic by my stomach. <laughs> That's what um, normalizing is for. Uh, okay, yeah. So... <laughs> It's just, yeah, like, I think you can probably relate. It was just the one thing that I've always been, I've never had to muster up any sort of motivation or, and it was always there. It always got me out of bed in the morning and I, there's nothing else like that in my life. Well, I want to talk about uh, your work ethic when it comes to songwriting. In the bio, you say you have to write. It implies that you do it every day, like taking a vitamin. But isn't writing supposed to be this spontaneous form of inspiration? How do you treat it like exercise and still appreciate it in that magical way? Over the years, especially since I've gotten involved with composing for films and TV, you have to show up every day, and even when you don't feel like there's anything left in the tank. Yeah. But that goes the same for, for making uh, songs with my band. Like, there's been times where I was like, I got nothing. But I read this book uh, by a screenwriter who... Uh, his basic rule was no matter what, you just got to go and put in a few minutes. And it's true. If you just sit down and shut out the world for a minute, you might not have anything kicking around there. But that's sometimes when the best ideas come. There's been a lot of songs that I didn't have any idea were there. And I sat down one day out of boredom and they came to me. And that kind of haunts me to think that what if I'd gotten distracted and turned on the ball game or something or, or gone out with some friends. Yeah, that's what I did. didn't sit down that day to... It's called resistance. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I'm the hardest worker either, and there are so many distractions. And, and I also want to say that getting in there and working every day is really important. But if it's not happening and you're just sitting there pounding your head on your keyboard, it's not going to make any better. And, and you don't want to, like, sacrifice your life. You want to experience life because that's also where a lot of good stuff comes from. You know what I'm saying? For sure. you got to go out there and and sample the fruits of passion if you're going to have anything to write about. See, I came from a middle-class Italian family in Brooklyn, New York, 
And my dad was a cop. My mom worked in a real estate office. And from very early on, even though they knew I was musically inclined, I played the drums, I played the piano, and they encouraged that stuff. They bought me instruments when I wanted them for Christmas and stuff like that. But they said, why don't you take the civil service test? That's exactly what they said. My dad wanted me to be a garbage man. (laughs) You know, he was looking out for you. My dad said the same thing. Our parents are probably cut from the same cloth, probably came over from the same area, and... They had to struggle, and they realized the importance of having a steady gig. And my family, especially my grandfather, was a musician and uh, blessed with talent. But, um, you know, they also saw how much he struggled and how, how hard it was for him to raise a family. And, you know, eventually he did have to, to give it up. He you did? Know? Yeah, I mean, he kept playing, but, I mean, professionally, he, uh, you know, he didn't earn enough to take care of everybody. So in dark times, I did always kind of, motivate me like I always wanted to you know carry on the legacy it's, it's a very tenuous hold any of us have on it so so uh you know on a night like this when you can play for a bunch of people and connect with them musically it's a real blessing I'm excited I've, I've been a fan since the beginning and I've never seen you live so this oh. is this is going to be a treat for me okay I regrettably included an asterisk in my band name right before iTunes and search engines really became a thing Oh, yeah. And it caused all types of problems. Yeah. I'm sure you don't have a similar problem, but it made me think, what's the deal with the capital V and the capital K in Devachka? I think we just started to do that so people could read it easily. Like you, I don't think it was probably the best band name we could have we could have <laughs> chosen. <laughs> um, you know, maybe uh, things might have worked out differently if we didn't have so many consonants and uh um but yeah, i don't know i just always thought it was such a beautiful word and yeah it seemed like destiny so before we climbed into the van you were dealing with the merch table and stuff like that the business for better or worse is a big part of you know being a self-sufficient independent musician it's true you're now signed to concord records do you have management or is it just you kind of handling business um you know oh let's get some ambiance it's called yeah. ambiance in this business. Yeah. Ambi for short. It's a little gritty reality right there. Um, we've had management, a lot of it, you know, but, uh, you know, you do have to stay hands-on, and I definitely do. I, I'm, I'm the founder of this band, and uh, I have ushered it along in all its various stages and constantly having to maintain it. When we first did sign up with some some managers, I think we were we were turned down by pretty much every record label in america well at the time (laughs) labels still had that sort of cloud about you know we can break commercial artists and i'm sure devotchka didn't kind of fit the mold yeah everyone sort of told me we were crazy and then um we just went at it alone and we were doing okay and then we were lucky enough to have our music in a very very popular film that was a, a hit around the world and then it was then you know we had a situation where record labels were actually Interested now. Interested right. in us. Now you're hot. Now we're now you're the hot chick. Exactly. Now we're uh, we're cutting edge all of a sudden. You were nominated for a Grammy for that soundtrack, right? We were, yes. And you lost. Thanks for noticing that. Yeah. Who did you lose to? We lost to uh, to Johnny Cash, which is well, something then that's just as good as winning. That I want to wear as a, ba- a badge of <laughs> honor because well, he's one of my favorites. Seven years between records. What's next for Devonchka? <laughs> well, it's Am I not gonna have to wait seven more years. You're not gonna have to. I promise that we're already working on the next one. All right, cool. Um, we're uh, from all this work I've been doing in the film industry. We're definitely gonna be releasing 
a lot more interesting videos that go along with this album. So I hope people will, will look out for those. And, and uh, we've got a few new remixes and recordings coming out. And, and uh, you know, we're just going to keep on making albums. And, and there's not going to be such a lag this time. I can promise you that. The fans are lining up outside U Street Music Hall. I'm in the van with Nick from Devochka. We didn't drive anywhere, but uh, this has been an experience. I'm super excited. We didn't drive anywhere, but we traveled a we lot, didn't we? <laughs> that sums it up in a nutshell. Nick, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, man. Pleasure.
That was Empty Vessels by Devochka. Check out the Abandoned Dog video on YouTube. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Straight Shot, both off the album This Night Falls Forever. Find out more, get the goods, devochka.net. Support the band, follow them online at Devochka Music. And thanks for listening to Independent Minded on iTunes, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe there, follow, pledge your allegiance, donate your kidney. It's all at Bald Freak Music Online. Archived episodes and all my dark creative secrets, minus two or three, at baldfreak.com. Questions, comments, paragraphs of praise about the podcast, ron at baldfreak.com. I want to thank Nick for the wisdom and for not kidnapping me, Lee Greeny and Jim Merlis at Big Hassle Media for putting us together, and big thanks to the fine folks at U Street Music Hall for letting me invade their space and take blurry pictures. Next time on the Independent Minded Podcast, Brett Boland of Boston Dream Thrash Band, yes, I said Dream Thrash Band, Astronoid, patiently waits for me to get my shit together in a snowstorm. As most of you know, that attempt ended in tragedy. On Wednesday, I intend to fulfill that dream. And while I'm at it, take care of a little business. Let's kick up our heels and enjoy the barbecue! Okay, okay, maybe I did overdo it just a little bit. <laughs>